there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Paul Tenorio of The Athletic to preview the MLS season, which starts on Friday. We've had some great guests lately, including Daryl DK, Kevin Egan, and Courtney Stith and Andre Carlisle. I also encourage you to check out my podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story. You can binge all eight episodes. Now, here's my interview with Paul Tenorio. The 26th season of Major League Soccer begins on Friday, and our guest now is one of my favorite people in the sport. Paul Tenorio is the national soccer reporter for The Athletic, and he also co-hosts the Allocation Disorder podcast with Sam Stasekel. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thank you for those kind words. There are uh, many eccentric people in the world that we live in, Grant. I'm glad that I, uh, <laughs> that I have uh, found my way into your inner circle, um, so I appreciate that. Um, glad to be here. Great to have you on. Um, busy week, obviously, so I really appreciate you taking some time. We're talking on Wednesday, coming out Thursday, season starts Friday. Though we've got CCL midweek here. Um, I want to get a sense, because I am a subscriber to The Athletic. I enjoy The Athletic soccer coverage. Um, I enjoy your coverage. What is The Athletic strategy covering MLS in particular? Well, I think it comes from one broad idea, which is let's cover MLS the way every other major league in this country is covered. And, you know... When you look at how soccer has been covered in this country for so long, and Grant, you have been a huge part of that, for how many years, though, were you on your own uh, at Sports right. Illustrated? And so we have this unique opportunity at The Athletic where we have a team of seven writers uh, and two editors, You know, something that hasn't happened at any outlet ever before. And... And so we can attack it a little bit more than than I think any other outlet has been able to in the past. And what's really cool about the team that we have um, at The Athletic is all of our writers have different strengths and different things that they like to write about. And so, you know, we can cover the sport um, kind of holistically, but we can also come from so many different angles and, you know, in other words, what I do every single day doesn't really cross over with what Pablo Maurer does. Um, it definitely does with what Sam Stasekel does, but I think we kind of complement each other well in that regard. And you know, or what Meg Linehan's doing um, with women's soccer coverage. So you know, the main goal is to to cover the league, you know, the same way every professional league is covered. And you know, the hard part is we're still only seven people. So if you look at the way the NFL is covered or NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball, you're talking about hundreds of reporters across multiple outlets uh, all over the country. We can't do that, but we all look at it that we are national reporters. They're, we're not limited by the markets where we live or the history of the teams we've covered in the past. Certainly it helps uh, to have knowledge of those clubs, but you know, our, our job is to go look for the very best stories, you know, whether those are, you know, long form features or whether it's hard hitting news or investigations, um, just go find the best stories and, and tell them. What stage do you think we're in when it comes to media coverage of MLS, both from a, from a national and, and local level? Because you're right, it's not 
at the NFL level, but I do feel like we're we're advancing a little bit in how MLS is covered. But like, how how would you put that? Yeah, I I think we're in the second phase of coverage of MLS. Like the first phase was set by, you know, the the kind of people who set who set the standards, right? You, um, you know, Steve Goff at the Washington Post, Soccer America, and what they've done for so so long. Um, even when you look at uh, the, you know, what Doug McIntyre and and Jeff Carlisle did for a long time together at ESPN and then separately at their respective outlets, Doug's now a free agent and hopefully is back working again. Brian yeah. Strauss, of course, who I've known, you know, Brian wrote, there's a he- there's a story in the Washington Post back in the day with my name in the headline and Brian's in the byline. That's how long I've known Brian. He covered <laughs> me playing high school soccer. Um, but you look at the people who kind of started thing, you know, the idea of soccer coverage and what it looks like. And now, you know, what we're seeing is kind of the rest of us trying to take that and build on it. Um, Not to say that you guys aren't still working. You're a part of that. Uh, But there are new younger writers who have come in and are, you know, at local newspapers or at an outlet like The Athletic um, and, you know, are trying to kind of create a norm where American soccer coverage, MLS coverage, NWSL coverage is a part of what, you know, makes up sports news, whether that's nationally or locally. Um, and it's, we're, we're waging that battle still, right? Like I, I would, I would venture to say it's still single digits for MLS teams that have a newspaper that cover them regularly. Um, and the number of local and national jobs are probably still fewer than 25 total, you know? So we're, we're early in this. I, I don't say, I think we're beyond phase two, but I think we are starting to show, I hope we're starting to show outlets that, you know, if you put the money in, you'll get the return. Because it's always been that chicken and the egg thing, right, Grant? It's like right. outlets always say to you, well, oh, soccer coverage doesn't do great numbers. And it's like, well, you don't invest in them to do the numbers that they would do if you did invest. So, like, you can always point to the numbers and say, well, it, it justifies no spend. But, you know, it's kind of like women's sports, right? They're always like, oh, those numbers aren't as good. Well, it's like, well, yeah, you don't invest as much in those sports. Of course, they're not as good. And I feel like soccer coverage is is kind of in a similar place right now. I do think from the perspective of subscriptions, a subscription site, I think, incentivizes covering MLS, putting more resources toward MLS or women's soccer, um, especially from like a national perspective because what we're seeing is there is a market out there for that. And and that's been good to see, you know, and obviously you guys are doing a really good job covering MLS and the NWSL and other aspects of American soccer. So um, I think maybe it's even tougher at the local level just because, um, you know, local media in general has been struggling. Um, yeah you know, for a while, but and to um, your point, Grant, I mean, the dynamics there at local papers, I remember, I mean, it's hard to justify it, right? Because when you're driven by clicks and for, from a business sense, you know, when I was at the Washington post, you know, nothing did better. And I, I would promise you I'll put money on it that the Washington football team, right? Like that is the most important team in that market, no matter how poorly they're performing, you know, outside of the, the Stanley cup run from the caps and the world series run by the nationals, I can still promise you that the football team is putting up the biggest numbers and and ju- and so justifiably, you know, the resources go toward those teams and where the readers are saying this is where we're interested. But, 
you know, the subscription model does say every, every audience matters. You know, everyone who's willing to buy into this, we can give you a product that you are looking for. And, and that is the, what's really neat about, about the athletic. And I think also about what we're seeing now with all of these national outlets that are putting their soccer content behind paywalls is they, they see that there are soccer fans willing to spend money to watch these games. The hard part is I'm spending across, you know, all of these different places to get all of my games, (laughs) but you know, Hey, I, I still get to consume that content. And so I can't really complain because I, I I'm watching all of it. I've, I've got, you know, Paramount, I've got ESPN, I've got NBC, I've got all of it. And, uh, Peacock, I guess I should say with NBC. And, um, and, and I think that that is proof to what you're saying is, you know, there is a soccer audience that will pay for the subscriptions. Now we are, I promise going to get into talk about the actual MLS season ahead, but I had one more sort of media navel gazing question for you here, Paul, for now. And that is what is one thing you wish the league MLS would do to make things better for reporters covering the league and Thus, their readers. Well, it's an easy answer. If you want to know the cap number of any player or any team in any of the four major North American sports, there are multiple websites where you can go and get that information down to the cent, literally to the cent. And that transparency allows a level of coverage in the offseason that drives the narratives around those leagues through the dead periods where they're not playing games. And those narratives, those stories are what make people tune in. You know, they're, they're not just tuning in for the games. They're tuning in for the stories that you've told about those teams and those leagues for years, months, weeks leading up to those games. And in MLS, you don't have that. The only numbers we get are provided by the union, and they're inexact in the way that they calculate them. We don't know how much cap space teams have left. We don't know how much allocation money they have left. We don't know what they've used to buy numbers down. We don't know what acquisition costs are. We know nothing. And so a lot of it is guesswork. A lot of it is getting what we can get from our sources that that give us an idea, but nothing exact. And so we can say, okay, this team needs a center back, but we can't talk about how much money they have to spend on that center back or you know is this player even realistic we can't really talk about trade scenarios because we don't know the specifics of their cap situations and that that impacts your coverage for this year and for the next year and the next year and the next year down the road and so yes i'm missing out because i love writing about the you know crazy cap stuff and the rules in MLS for some reason I'm a masochist but I think a lot of fans are masochists too and baseball's proven that out better than anyone and by the way Grant like baseball is a better sport now because those numbers were available and fans took in that information it happened in the NBA as well and they became cap experts and they introduced all sorts of different analysis and then they got hired into front offices and it changed the way the game worked and MLS is missing out on that potential And it's out there, I promise you. I'm 100% with you on this. I hope MLS listens to it. I don't think there's a downside. They may try and and squawk about, oh, this makes it harder to get deals done if we put this information out there. I don't buy it. And obviously, you make a good point that other leagues, this information is out there. So MLS, are you listening? I guess we'll find out. Um, Hasn't happened yet, though. Looking ahead to the season itself, 
If I were to ask you, in your opinion, who is the most intriguing team in MLS this season, who would it be and why? I'm going to go with Orlando City. And the reason I'm picking Orlando, people are going to look at them and say, yes, they're going to be good this year. And I agree. I think they'll be back in the hunt. But they're intriguing for me because they have multiple question marks going into the season that are interesting beyond just their team and I think will impact their season. One of them I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, but Daryl DK, um, who's on loan and absolutely crushing it in the championship right now, whether he returns or not or plays any games or not is going to impact them. And then Pato as a signing, you know, what version of Pato are they going to get? And can he still be productive the way he was in China? You know, can he be that in MLS? I think he can, but who knows? You know, will Nani be healthy? Oh, I just think that they are, you know, they are this really interesting team. They could they could completely spoil things in the East. I, I think the East is a little bit more um, wide open this year. I think there's, you know, I think only kind of one team that's going to dominate in the East and then a whole bunch of like maybes. And I also think that Orlando as a market, if that team is good, again, has the potential to tell a story about MLS because that market is, in my opinion, Portland, had they been winning all these years. I think the level of support right. in that market is unlike any other market beyond besides Portland. It's the one MLS market where you can walk into downtown Orlando on a game day and you know it's an Orlando City game day. You, you can't get that many places in Major League Soccer. Seattle will probably argue with me that you can get that in Seattle too. Depends on where you are in the city, the closer you are to the stadium. Um, so I, I'm I'm intrigued by what Orlando City is going to look like. Can they carry the success forward? You know, is there was it a one off or not during a very strange 2020 season? So I'm going to pick Orlando. I also think it's a I don't know, a, a, a more unique choice than the other team that we all kind of want to watch, which is the Galaxy, because who doesn't like watching a train wreck, but also like <laughs> wanting the Galaxy to be good? You know, I, I don't know. I, I would also say for any listeners who have been under a rock, uh, Paul used to cover the team in Orlando, knows whereof he speaks particularly well um, in, in that case. And I can remember... You know, when Orlando came into the league, the excitement around that team first first few years, you know, they got the stadium built. Um, long playoff drought that finally ended last season. Oscar Pereja comes in, has a good first season, and uh, they make the playoffs. And, you know, we'll see what happens here. And, and we'll talk about Daryl DK in just a little bit. Uh, our previous guest, by the way, if you... Uh, listen to the podcast, check that out. Uh, our Daryl DK interview from Barnsley. Um, my next question, I guess, would be just when you look at the league, if you're going to pick best team in the West, best team in the East, and you are picked to win it all. This was hard for me. Well, 50% of it was hard for me. In the East, I think the best team is Columbus. Yeah. Um, by far, MLS Cup winners last year, and they got a lot better. They added depth in some important spots. You know, they needed to. They're going to miss some guys during Gold Cup. I think Jossie Zardes will be somebody who plays in the Gold Cup for the U.S. Um, and will be gone for an extended period of time. And, you know, he's important. He's a, a goal scorer. They went and got Bradley Wright Phillips. They they were anticipating that absence. Adding Kevin Molino, I think, is a really nice piece. So I think Columbus 
best team in the East. I think they're going to win the supporter shield because I, I think in the West, you're going to have a lot of teams beating up on each other. Um, in reality, if you when you see us, the, the Athletic, we're going to publish a kind of a staff preview. I picked Sporting Kansas City to win in the West. I did it because everybody else on the staff picked LAFC. So <laughs> I don't disagree. I think LAFC is due to have a really good year. I think that I, I would never... I would not put money down that under Bob Bradley, LAFC will have consecutive disappointing seasons. Um, and so I, I don't disagree with the staff, but I don't like to be the seventh person <laughs> to pick LAFC to win the West. And so I look at Sporting Kansas City. They always fly under the radar when we talk about the West preseason, always. And Peter Vermees, almost always, there's now one year of exception of not making the playoffs, almost always has his team in contention. Um, I like that roster. Uh, they bring back a lot of the players from last year when they did quite well. And so uh, if I'm going to be different from the LAFC picks, I- I'm going to go with sporting um, in the West. So uh, I, I, you know, regular season, those are my picks. When we get to MLS Cup, you just get to go crazy. You know, <laughs> it's just like you get to go nuts. I have this theory that I want really badly to happen which is for the Portland Timbers to win a treble having won just like between 12 and 16 games because of the way that this season works. They need to win only, you know, really only four more games in Champions League because you don't need to win both sides of every leg to advance. And they only need to win like four games in Open Cup. And then they they only need to win four games in the MLS Cup playoffs. And then you add a couple here or there. You need you need to do well the first three games of the season to get into the Open Cup this year. So it puts you somewhere between 12 and 16 wins to get a treble. I love that idea. I could have picked any team in the Champions League to do this. I picked Portland. So I've got Portland winning MLS Cup and uh, and beating Orlando in MLS Cup. So that that's my MLS Cup pick. And, and guys, everyone should be rooting for a 16-win treble, I think. <laughs> Fantastic. I like that. Um, I, I mean, the one question I've got about Columbus is, is this a team that could legitimately, I mean, win a lot of trophies this year, whether it's Supporters' Shield, MLS Cup, Champions League, uh, Open Cup? Like, how many trophies could they win? Yeah, they could They could win four of them right i mean right th- th- this roster is is very good and i think you know one thing we've learned about caleb porter and I, I last year proved it he he knows how to win and i think when he puts his system into place it takes some time for him to build a roster kind of the way he sees it and to have everyone kind of fitting the styles of play because i think they're capable of playing more than one way um but when they do I, I do think they have this burst of of a two to three year window with a roster, maybe longer, depending on how young that roster is at the time, where, where they're going to be really good. They're yeah. going to be really good. We saw it in Portland, and I think we're going to see it here in Columbus for the next couple of years. And, and so, and yeah, I actually think that this is a team that could compete in the Champions League. You know, uh, I think multiple MLS teams this year, um, could end up competing. Uh, we'll get into that later. I've got some beefs with with Concacaf on behalf of my Ticos, but um, yeah, I mean, I just I think Caleb's a, a a good coach. He he rubs some people the wrong way. I I I get it. He's you know he 
as much as he tries now to like not be as brash, it's still a part of who he is. And he can't lose that, by the way. If he loses right. that, he's not Caleb Porter anymore. He has to hang on to it. Um, and yet, I, and Tim Bezbachenko is building the roster. And he's one of the best in MLS at it, you know? It's a, it's a it's a dream team in a way, right, Grant? I mean, who's better than Bez besides Garth and Bez, right? Are the top two? Yeah, and that's partly why I'm I'm really excited about this Columbus team and what they could do. Like, I'm not saying they will, but like this could be a team that we view later this year as the best MLS team of all time. I I I, fir- I pretty firmly believe that. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it, but like. And this brings us into uh, CONCACAF Champions League right now because we're recording this Wednesday. Um, so there's two games on Wednesday night. Columbus plays Thursday night. They look like they're going to advance. And it looks possible that MLS will have five of the final eight. Now, big question mark on Toronto Leon, obviously. But even if, you know, if MLS looks like they're going to get four or five um, in the final eight, we'll see. Um and this is like the 13th year of asking this question, is this the year for an MLS team to win CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, I mean, things are setting up that way. I mean, we always say maybe, yeah, I could, we can definitely envision it. The odds are going to be better than they've ever been before if everyone goes right. through as we see it. Um, and, and I think the schedule sets up better now in Champions League, right? There's a big gap. Um, before we get to the semis and finals and so it allows teams to be more in rhythm of course that also adds in it also allows teams to be injured and depleted Um, and so there are all these unknowns but I think you know I do think we're starting to see on some levels the gap closing certainly on the one through 11 and so if these rosters stay healthy you know, when you're looking at Columbus or you're looking at Atlanta or Portland or, or Toronto, if they can stay relatively healthy, yes, they're more than capable of winning these games in Champions League. Once you start to deplete those top 13, 14 players on MLS rosters, that's where the difference still shows between the top teams in Mexico and the top teams in MLS. So there's a little bit of that luck that goes into it. Uh, but I I mean, I think you and I both feel this way about Columbus is that when you have a GM who's good at what he does and who can build, who understands building a roster and finding the right players in MLS and the right homegrown signings that can give you solid enough depth to survive the regular season and Open Cup and all these other competitions you're playing simultaneously with Champions League, you have a better chance. And I think when you look at this Columbus roster, that's what you see. You know, it's it's signings like Perry Kitchen and Bradley Wright Phillips and Kevin Molino that are coming from within MLS that are, you know, guys that you're hoping you're in different ways, right? Molino, you're hoping will be a starter or will start 20-something games for you. You're probably not looking at that from Bradley Wright Phillips. You're certainly not asking that of Perry Kitchen. But these are guys who can jump into those league games and into those Open Cup games to allow Nagby to stay healthy and Artur to stay healthy and um, and Zardes to stay healthy. And then when you go to those big Champions League games, you have your top 11. That's what we like about this roster. It's also crazy when we think about like the best MLS team of all time, Grant, I, I think we'd agree it's Toronto that, that yep. you know advanced to the CONCACAF Champions League final. They had two American DPs, that Toronto mm-hmm. team, Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore. This 
Columbus team has two American DPs and Darlington Nagby and Jossie's artist. So maybe Bez Bachenko just knows something that no one else knows, which is like you find the right two American DPs and you have a chance. I don't know. It's, it seems it's a very bizarre coincidence for sure. I would also say like getting, you know, MLS teams doing well in the round of 16 is not the same thing as MLS teams doing well in the latter stages of this tournament. So while this has been promising, We'll have to kind of wait and see how it shakes out from here. By the way, what's your what's your beef with CONCACAF? Well, you know, it's one thing for Atlanta United to beat Alawalense down seven starters because they couldn't get on a plane because they couldn't get visas and CONCACAF wasn't willing to push games back. And then they had to smack down my boys. You know, I grew up a La Liga fan. My dad is a La Liga fan. My dad's from Costa Rica. And uh, they, they were like, oh, you know, Alawalense didn't do the work they needed to do to get those visas. You know, I still want to blame CONCACAF. It's easier. It's easier to blame CONCACAF um, than it is to blame Adelaide. <laughs> it's more fun. Um, but to your point, it is easier to look good and to be winning games in the early stages against a depleted Adelaide side or a struggling Saprisa side um, than it is going to be, you know, down the road against, you know, Club America or Monterrey or, or, or one of the better Mexican clubs that they're going to come up against. Everyone gets CONCACAF at some point, Paul. I, 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 have, I have learned this. I, I recognize this now in the 60th year of CONCACAF. It's, it's not just certain teams. Basically, everyone at some point will get CONCACAF. Um, looking at MLS as, as a league, who's the newcomer? to the league that you're most excited to see play this season? Oh, most excited to see play is definitely different than the answer I have. It's definitely not Ryan Shawcross. Sorry, <laughs> Miami and Ryan Shawcross. Um, I, I think the newcomer, I, I, I'm the way I looked at the answer, and I, I probably should have, you know, made sure I read the question well, but I, I think the newcomer that's, that's I think is going to be kind of had the biggest impact that people aren't talking as much about, but someone I think is going to have the biggest impact as a newcomer on their club is Bobby Wood. I actually think Bobby Wood, he's, no one talks about, rightly so. The guy hasn't played games or very many games over the last two and a half years as he went through a contract dispute in Germany and, you know, he didn't want to give up his, a a really nice Bundesliga level contract and he's back. He's coming back to MLS. He's going to RSL. Kind of the perfect fit um, budget-wise for them. And I think it's a really smart signing. And I think if he gets fit and into form, that Bobby Wood is going to score a lot of goals in Major League Soccer. Um, you know, I, I'm as far as newcomers overall in the league, I'm actually really interested to see all of the signings in Atlanta because these are hand-picked mm-hmm. by Heinze. And... and right. I think that they're all – we saw what the hand-picked signings looked like for Tata Martino. I mean, whether there were guys we didn't know anything about, like Yamil Assad, or kind of more heralded signings coming in, like Almiron, they all had a big impact in Major League Soccer. And so I'm going to throw the whole group in there from Atlanta. And I also love that Atlanta signed a DP center back. I want to see more of it. I'm the only person in the world – that wants to see DP money spent on defenders. <laughs> I don't know if that's because I'm a former defender or if because I like to antagonize MLS uh, occasionally. But, you know, it is what it is. Let's take a quick break from our interview with Paul Tenorio, and I'll ask you a question. 
Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga and France's Ligue 1, currently the best title races in Europe, and get frustrated because they're not available on your cable or satellite system? You should try a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z, and you can watch all the action from La Liga, Ligue 1, Copa Libertadores, and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, a tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch top leagues from Austria, Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina. Fanatis features channels you know, like being sports in English and Spanish, the Women's Soccer Channel, ATA Football, Goal TV, and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to fntz.co slash grant fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. If you want to win, I, I think this should happen more often, you know, and, and Atlanta is certainly a team that doesn't need to spend all of its money on big name attacking players um, to continue getting a big crowd. Uh, so I, I, I like seeing big center backs, you know, with, with, uh, some gravitas coming into the league. We'll see how that goes. They can be compelling it... characters, you know? <laughs> well, you mentioned Ryan Shawcross as well. So I'll use that as a seg into the next question because I want to know what you make of Inter-Miami because there's a lot going on down there. And David Beckham, as an owner, has been a lot more engaged with this team on site heading into this season and clearly engaged in the hiring of coach Phil Neville. Um, like, what do you make of all the different things that are happening there? Because there's a lot. That, of course, is not to say that Phil Neville wasn't the most qualified person they spoke to. He, of course, you know, yes, he's friends with David Beckham, <laughs> but his qualifications speak for themselves, Grant. Um, <laughs> you wrote the book on David, literally. And... What I think is that David Beckham has an impression of Major League Soccer that is largely based on the Major League Soccer in which he played. And that LA Galaxy team was the best team in MLS um, by far. And uh, they were built on veteran star players, very, you know, very good star players, maybe arguably the best DP in some people's minds ever, and Robbie Keane as a part of that, the, the best American to ever play in MLS inarguably, Landon Donovan, and and David Beckham. And I think that he looks at... And, and then, of course, they, they did have some really nice veteran players who complemented that roster. Um, Mike McGee and and Juninho, they, they, they weren't j- just those stars, but the right. way that roster was constructed by Bruce Arena fit really well into that era of MLS. We know the league has changed drastically since that era. And I look at the moves that have happened since about midway through last year when things were going very poorly for Miami. And the shift in strategy of signings is jarring, right? They went from young Argentinian players and Colombian players, South American players, who understandably were struggling 
in their not just their first season in Major League Soccer and in a new country, but in the midst of a global pandemic that forced them to live alone in their apartments or in a hotel in Orlando for a limited period of time. Miami wasn't there that long. Um, But, you know, I think you have to kind of anticipate that things were going to start off slowly. And instead, I, I feel like there was a little bit of a panic button that got hit. And they were like, we need to win immediately. This is damaging to our reputations, to our brand. And they go out and they sign Iguain and Matuidi. Two DPs we know now. Um, (laughs) At the time, we didn't know it. We might have thought it. Um, But, you know, two older players who are certainly out of their prime, who cost a lot of money, but who very much fit the model of the old LA Galaxy, and really even who the LA Galaxy are today, right? They like to have the big name stars. And that's fine, but when you look at the signings that are happening this offseason, they fit the same model, right? You know, this is Shawcross and Gibbs and these players who are, you know, they don't feel like what today's MLS is. And so I wonder if this is a little bit of Beckham learning on the job of how to be an owner how how to evaluate what you know what mls is about and maybe exerting too much um control out of a fear of what he saw the first half of last year luckily for david beckham he hired chris henderson who i think is one of the best talent evaluators in major league soccer and so I think the battle is going to be how much do we see Chris Henderson's players and how much do we see David Beckham's players. And you, I think if you're a Miami fan, you should hope that Chris Henderson wins out in that battle. But I don't know, man. You you were behind the scenes with that Galaxy team. It feels similar, right? Like the, the style of signings here? Yeah, it does. I, I mean, my book was essentially about the first two years of Beckham in L.A. when they were bad. And right. so, but as part of that, it was uh, David bringing in Terry Byrne, his his best friend, to essentially run the team for a while and, and oversee the hiring of Ruud Hullett, who's still one of the highest paid coaches in MLS history, even though it didn't go well at all. Um, and I still remember, um, you know, 8-8-08 uh, was the day that Ruud Hullett and Alexi Lalas got let go uh, as the president and GM of the Galaxy. Bruce Arena gets brought in to fill both those spots, and and they go from there. Part of me wonders why David Beckham didn't try to bring Bruce Arena down to Miami. Uh, just if he like had a good experience, because I actually I, I think they they uh, still have a lot of respect for each other. They won a lot together, certainly. But you could also ask the question: Has today's MLS? past Bruce Arena by, I don't know, he got his team to the final uh, or the conference final last year. Um, anyway, Phil Neville comes in. Um, I, I do think this was a situation, it reminded me a little bit of like David Beckham not being happy with how things were going on the field, his first season and a half in MLS, doing something pretty major to try and shake things up. And... In L.A., it actually took that screwing up for Tim Liewicki to step in, hire Bruce Arena. And so maybe there's another stage eventually with all this. But I will say this about this Inter-Miami team. I'm fascinated to watch them. And 
they open the season this weekend uh, on ABC against the LA Galaxy, um, which is a game I'm looking forward to see. You, you used the word train wreck earlier to describe the Galaxy, which is, I think, accurate. Um, do you think they'll be relevant this season with Greg Vanny in charge? Yes, I do. I actually have a lot of faith that Greg Vanny is going to get things going in the right direction there. I like Dennis DeClosa as well. The problem is when he when he when Dennis DeClosa arrived in LA, the mess that was that existed at the Galaxy was on multiple levels, right? I think you had to put out fires in the academy, you had issues with the roster, you had issues in the front office with the way that it was organized and and who was making decisions, multiple people making decisions. And to some degree, I think that's still a part of the galaxy like what you know who are the decision makers how much is is chris klein and aeg making decisions about big name dps like chicharito how much is the you know are the soccer decision makers making those soccer decisions that's i think that's part of the galaxy's ethos and i, I don't think right. that will ever change and and maybe shouldn't ever change it's worked fairly well for them or did for a while um i thought chicharito was going to be a good signing i can't I can't hate on it now. I mean, I guess I could, but like I'm on the record saying I thought it was a good signing. So, you know, um, I, I think that it's going to take time for them to contend. I think they're going to be better this year. They still need another couple windows to let some contracts expire, fix some problem areas, defensively being a, a, one of those, you know, they're starting to add some pieces to the attack. They lost Pavone. You know, so that by adding a piece, you're really just back to where you were before. So, yeah, yes, I think they'll be relevant. No, I don't think that they're going to be a team that challenges for an MLS Cup or a Supporter Shield this year. Probably not next year. You know, I would think the year beyond that, that they would be legitimate, hopefully legitimate contenders. But I don't know, man. It's MLS. If Chicharito shows up fit, like he was not fit last year. Correct. You know, at MLS's back, he was not fit. If he shows up fit and starts scoring goals the way he's capable, if they build this team around the forward that they have on the roster to actually get him service in the box and then he scores, they'll have a better year than I'm anticipating. But man, it's it's kind of, it, it stinks. Like I want the Galaxy to be good, especially with LAFC being good. It's good for the league. Um, and they're, I hate seeing what's happened to DC United Partly because I was I'm from Northern Virginia and I loved those DC United teams back in the early days, but they were the first, you know, real brand for Major League Soccer, and they're not that anymore. And right. the Galaxy were the next brand for Major League Soccer, and they're not that right now. And it would be a shame if MLS lost both of those clubs for for what they stood for and what they were. Agree with you a hundred percent on all of that. Just a couple more questions here with Paul Tenorio. Really appreciate you taking this much time. Straightforward one here. Will Daryl DK return to Orlando City after his loan with Barnsley ends? Yes, but not for very long. There is Ooh. a there is a window between when the loan ends and when the transfer window opens. So he's going to have to come back to get his things, okay. you know, and you know, <laughs> stay fit um, until a deal gets done. The question is, if you if he continues to play the way he's playing and score goals the way he's scoring goals, I'm interested to see what Orlando does. In do they put him on the field? Do they risk an injury? Mm. Do they do it because you kind of have to bluff? Oh, we. We don't have to sell him now. 
Um, how do you how do you weigh that as a sporting director and a coach? That idea of also you got to keep him fit. There's all these kind of different dynamics. I do think that he'll yes, we'll probably see him back in MLS for a couple weeks. We'll probably see him play. He'll get a nice little farewell at, you know, Exploria Stadium in downtown Orlando, and then he'll be off back to England. I'm interested to see what the price is. Don Garber is doing deals. <laughs> That's a $20 million player, he said. Hey, man, I, you know, Sam Stasekel, my colleague, tweeted that he likes it like a commissioner doing that. You won't you won't see that very often. I don't mind it either. Let's hype him up. I don't know that I agree, but I, you know. Maybe he is a $20 million player. I'll tell you what, if he keeps on this goal scoring rate, it's going to be close. It's going to be up there. It'll be more than than 10. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, really exciting stuff for Daryl DK. Uh, Good and, kid, and too. He, I know you just talked to him on the podcast. Yeah, I, I, that was the first time I had done a kind of an in-depth one-on-one with Daryl DK and just really enjoyed the whole thing very humble guy given everything that's going on right now you know you got commissioners putting 20 million dollar price tags on him he looked like he had a pretty uh straightforward apartment situation in barnsley so he's not exactly living the high life i don't know what the options are for not straightforward (laughs) apartments in barnsley like are there high-end barnsley apartments this is outside my area of expertise in terms of the real estate of Barnsley in the UK, but maybe someone can let us know. A couple more quick ones here. You have a regular podcast I mentioned earlier called Allocation Disorder with Sam Stasekel, where you guys go deep into the weeds on MLS and league rules and mechanisms. Um, Really long uh, discussion of Tsubasa Endo <laughs> this week to give people an idea if you haven't listened to it. What What's sort of your goal with the podcast? I think part of it is to find the fellow nerds um, <laughs> for sure so we don't feel so alone out here. Um, no, you know, it. Sam and I, we joke about this, but it's true. We talk more to each other than we do to our respective wives in, in reality <laughs> because we are on the phone constantly all day for work. And, you know, this morning we talked, we we called to, to prep for tomorrow's episode and it's supposed to be an MLS preview episode. And the first 40 minutes of the conversation were spent talking about the new MLS roster rules and regulations that came out yesterday. And so like this podcast is a reflection of our actual relationship and the things we care about. And, you know, we both love to write about this stuff. And so we had to find a way to make it work once we started working together so that we weren't just constantly battling each other to write these really nerdy pieces about roster mechanisms. And um, the goal is, the I think part of it is what we talked about earlier. There is an audience, a, a real audience that exists that cares about this. Everyone wants to feel like they can be the GM of their team. Everyone, We love fantasy sports. And, you know, I'm in... I'm in two incredibly nerdy, just as nerdy fantasy sports leagues as allocation disorder is to soccer uh, for football and for golf, believe it or not. (laughs) And so clearly this is a passion of mine to like roster build and strategize over the course of a season. But yeah, I mean, I I think that we we've seen by writing these stories that, that they do tremendously well. And so there is this audience that wants more of it and they're constantly asking. And so we thought, Hey, let's, let's do a podcast. And then, you know, some of it comes, you know, Sam's personality, you know, he's, <laughs> he, he wants it to be uh Levitard, you know? And so 
Um, we, we have a little <laughs> bit of that. I just try to keep up. I think Sam said the other day he carries the piano for me to play. But then he also got mad when I called him a roadie. So... I don't know. We're all, we're just a mishmash of all of that. I love the chemistry you guys have. It comes through every single episode. My last question for you is, you know, there's some good MLS GMs out there. We talk about Garth Lagerway. We talk about Bezbachenko. There's plenty of others. What percentage do you think of MLS GMs probably – do you probably know as much or more about the league rules than them? Well, I think it's probably pretty high. Um, <laughs> as much as I don't want to say that out loud because it makes me seem like I like have a, you know, I'm self-important. I have an inflated sense of self. Part of it is just that there have been so many hires that have come from abroad in the last couple of years. And so just on that basis alone... I'm sorry, but in like one or two years, you cannot catch up with the number of years I have spent caring about this stuff. You just can't. And if you could, I would be angry that I had spent as long and as much time as I have on on these these things and had as many conversations as I've had. The, you know, the, I would say like when you spend as much time as as I do and as we do talking to people who do it, actually do it. Every day you learn that there's stuff you don't know and that you can't know unless you're behind the scenes and you see what they see and you and you you know you can go into the real roster rules not the ones they post online and you see the spreadsheets that they have to work off of and you know all these little nuances so there's there's a, a huge percentage of things that I just can't know about but when it comes to like maneuvering around these roster rules I have a pretty good idea of what what teams should do or what teams can do and what they can't and uh, I enjoy, I enjoy sparring with those who know a lot and those who don't know as much, um, who who probably hate me more than than the others who, who who humor me. Paul, is it okay if I put the headline on this podcast as Tenorio issues come and get me plea to MLS owners to hire him as GM? Yeah, I, I'm sure there are so many MLS teams just climbing over themselves at the the uh, you know the chance of hiring a journalist as their uh, their general manager. I need to I need to get in with the hiring firms that are recommending these guys that are coming over from uh, from overseas. Uh, I would love it. I would love the opportunity to to see how it works on the inside, even just for one year, because I think. The level of fascination from the outside looking in, the lack of things of knowledge that are out there publicly, you know, it's so interesting. Um, to get on the inside would be really cool, um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> the, league, the league, you know, they they tolerate me and Sam. They don't they don't love us. I would read that book. If you spend your year as a GM and, and write an insider account, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, Paul Tenorio is the national soccer reporter for The Athletic. He also hosts the Allocation Disorder podcast with Sam Stayskill, which you should definitely check out. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. And if the Subasa Endo chat didn't entice them to listen to Allocation Disorder, I don't know what can. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Paul Tenorio as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview with someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. Mm-hmm.